Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about Kaiser's historic worker strike, Providence Park's transformation into the largest music venue in town, and the dramatic, messy breakup between the Trailblazers and Damian Lillard. Joining me on this week's News Roundup, our lead producer for CityCast Madison, Molly Stentz, and our very own lead producer, John Atariani. It's Friday, October 6th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Welcome to this week's News Roundup, everyone. Hey, thank you. And Molly. Hello, hello. Welcome to Portland and the show. You traveled all the way from Madison. How are you liking Portland so far? I just wanted to hang out with you guys. I mean, <laughs> but I must say, why do you have so many crows? Why is that a thing here? Oh, that is a thing here. Wait, is it really just a Portland thing? Don't crows live everywhere? No. You know, we actually have hawks, trained hawks that um, swoop in and take crows out downtown so they stop <laughs> disturbing areas. I'm not joking. John, you know this, what? right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, because yeah. the because the streets were too full of poop, of crow poop downtown. <laughs> so they had to, to train hawks with laser pointers to chase what? them away. Oh, Molly, <laughs> welcome to Portland. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I know. Before we jump in the headlines, I have some listener comments from last week's roundup I wanted to share. John, I feel like every week there's usually one new story that we cover that gets the most feedback from our listeners. Mm -hmm. And this time, it was the story that you shared about the reshuffling of neighborhood associations in the new city charter. For yes. context, those who did not listen to last week's show, under our new city government, the Office of Community and Civic Life, which currently oversees these neighborhood associations, will be disbanded. And all those neighborhood associations, will they're going to fall under a new program uh, overseen by the mayor's chief of staff, which is also administering uh, homeless services. So a lot of neighborhood associations were like, we do more than that. And also a little bit of power. It might be, you know, leaving their grasp. So some of the district coalitions were not stoked about this. And they could foresee that, you know, not only were they getting phased out of power, but also funding. So anyhow, we got some stuff wrong. And one of our listeners, Leah, had this to say. She said, uh, I just want to clarify a misunderstanding the show has about neighborhood coalitions, how they're structured and funded. East Portland, North Portland, and Southwest Neighborhoods, Inc. are all funded and staffed directly as city organizations, part of the Office of Community and Civic Life, whereas the other four coalitions, John, those were the ones that were unhappy with the, the charter reorg, are funded by operating grants given by the city and are staffed by folks directly employed by the coalitions, not the city. So that is why East, North, and Southwest didn't pipe up about the city reorg because those organizations are already part of the city budget and org structure. So that was a lot of inside baseball. Pretty sure none of those articles we read on the subject noted any of this. So John yeah. and I wildly speculated with what the other orgs were up to <laughs> because that is a thing that John and I love to do when we don't <laughs> know what's going on. And honestly, it's what, what keeps this uh, podcast spicy. But Leah, thank you so much for that piece of information uh, how the city is organized and and fun stuff is a mystery. We actually try and unravel every freaking Friday. So we <laughs> appreciate any and all help. Fingers crossed that the new charter reform lends a bit more transparency to the city's inner workings so we don't have to keep annoying so many city workers because I feel like they're the ones that call in. They're like, actually, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> well. And another listener wrote in the same subject and he said, hey, 
I recently listened to your conversation about shifting power in neighborhood associations and think you may have misrepresented some of the work being done in the city by dedicated volunteers with good intentions. I am the outgoing chair of the Montevilla Neighborhood Association and a local community journalist. The Neighborhood Association system is flawed, and you did hit on the reason for that. In the podcast, these groups are volunteer-run and require extreme effort of a few or regular support of the many to succeed. In some spaces, that is the elderly or the wealthy who have time, but to have better representation in neighborhood associations, people of different backgrounds and perspectives need to participate Labeling them as only for homeowners dissuade the right people from becoming involved in those groups. We have houseless members, renters, clergy, business people, and homeowners in the Montevilla Neighborhoods Association. I just want to thank uh, Leah and Jacob so much for their notes. We really actually do appreciate when people come in, you know, and they email us and they tell us what they're thinking, especially when it's to clarify a point that we made a, we might not have gotten all the way right. So that especially, thank you. Yeah. So that leads me to my opening question, which, Molly, is a thing we do at the very uh, top of the roundup, just because. If you were able to provide your neighborhood with an extravagant gift like that, that could totally be useless, but would just make you happy that exists in your neighborhood, what would it be and why? I'll start us off while you gather your thoughts. Um, So Mm. I don't think St. John's has many sculptures or statues, and if I had the money— and the backing of the community, <laughs> I would love to be able to build some, like no settler historical figures, just people and pets from the neighborhood that I like. Um, or my friend my friend Jay and I thought of another subject that could be some choice fight scenes from like a few Michelle Yao films. And that's also just part of a larger uh, conspiracy where we're going to start a rumor that she was born in St. John's and people were going to be very confused because she's obviously not from America. But there's also a lot of cool water features that could be built around severed limbs. And you're welcome, St. John's. Whoa. John, you don't want to see a Michelle Yao? That is just like such an evocative idea of like water features and severed limbs. And my mind just went in a lot of different directions of trying to figure out what that could mean. Well, why wouldn't we celebrate, you know, St. John's best, Michelle Yao? I'm uh, I'm 100% on board. Yeah. Do you guys have one? Yes. uh, Easy. Easy. Trampoline in every backyard. Uh, Because, you know, like we're, we're like... Everybody has a yard in St. John's. It's pretty like low to the ground. So you could just like look out your front door and like see people across the street, like popping up on their trampolines. It would be amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. I was going to say a bridge, but I feel like you already do that here. <laughs> no, I mean, for your neighborhood, Molly, I mean, we're good with bridges, but thank you for thinking about us. What <laughs> What about for your neighborhood in, in, in Madison? Like what what would you give your neighborhood? I would just say a park. I mean, we do have a lot of good parks, but just giving every neighborhood their own park, their own gathering spot, I think would really help because there are really nice, huge parks, but they're not kind of equally distributed across the city. So every neighborhood having its own park and their own kind of like, this is our space, I think would go a long way. Yeah, hmm. we have a lot of that in Portland too. I'm not, I'm not, tr- I'm not here to be like Madison. Sounds like it, it's, it doesn't have parks. It's got no bridges. It's got no parks. What I'm do just you got? saying, Portland has a quite a few of those in each neighborhood. Unless you live on the east side, then um, that's a whole thing. So Molly, I don't know if you've if you've listened to any of our Friday roundups, um, but usually we have our our guests go first, and so. What is the headline? And by the way, I can't believe you just jumped in. You just read all the Portland, you know, local news and you and you chose one. 
So I would love to know which one you chose and why. Yeah. So I feel like I had a bit of a front row seat to a historic event this week here in Portland. So we're on day three of the largest healthcare strike in U.S. history. 75,000 healthcare workers in five states, right, including uh, workers here in Portland, Oregon. And I happen to um, be at the hospital with my family on Wednesday, the first day of the uh, major part of the strike, and was really interested in it. And I got to tell you, it was way more interesting being outside talking to people who were on strike than it was sitting in a hospital waiting room. So I couldn't help myself, Claudia. I couldn't help it. Yeah. Could I ask why you were in the hospital? Oh, my mother lives here and she is dealing with cancer. So oh, I'm so sorry, Molly. So, uh, yeah, it was just an interesting kind of front row seat to see what it was like as a patient, as a family member of a patient. Um and to really understand what was at stake. I mean, you at stake, I mean, you guys have such, you know, your family has such a personal stake in the whole thing as well. How are you guys feeling about all this? I mean, not going to lie, there was some anxiety on my mom's part about just what would happen, right? Because we knew it was coming. Um, Kaiser Management had been saying up until the 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 strike started, that they had hoped to to negotiate, that they had good relationships, that in the past, every time there was a labor dispute, they always settled before a strike happened. So they they were saying, you know, don't worry about it. It's not going to happen. But the workers were saying, mm, it's serious. We're going ha- it, it, to go through with it if we can't reach an agreement. And they did. So the question was just, would there be mass chaos? Would there be delays? Would there be care? Would there be temps that weren't trained? You know, kind of what what would that mean for care? Um, So yeah, it was certainly, um, it did did make her nervous, but she's incredibly supportive because she sees how hard people work and she sees the stresses that they're under. I mean, Molly, I'm, I'm super curious. Did you get out and talk to some of the people that were picketing? Did you have a chance to hear what they were thinking? Yeah, absolutely. So we were at Kaiser uh, Sunnyside in Clackamas, and that there were hundreds of people out there. This was Wednesday, the first day of this portion of the strike, right? So that, man, it's, it's complex how it's going on here, right? There are so many different unions involved, right? So there's mm-hmm. like the pharmacy techs. Mm-hmm. And they, they already did. They've been on strike, the pharmacy yeah, techs, right? They're yeah. part of this three-week strike, um, which, you know, if you are dependent on Chemotherapy medication is also a thing, right? So they're on strike for three weeks. And then this week, it was medical assistance. It was housekeeping staff, registration, that those kind of front desk folks that when you walk into the hospital, you see who check you in and help you get where you need to go. Uh, it was a lot of those folks who were on strike for three days this week. So... Yeah, I went outside, talked to a number of folks. There were hundreds there, and they seemed pretty determined. I mean, I have covered labor issues. I, we went through a lot in Wisconsin uh, in 2011. There was a huge labor fight. So 
I've, I've, as a journalist, I've covered a number of strikes and have seen ones where it's like, okay, we're here, we're holding the sign, we got to, we're, we're, we're going through the motions, we got to do this thing, right? Mm-hmm. That was not the vibe. Oh, <laughs> that was yeah. not the vibe on the streets <laughs> out front of the hospital. There was, you know, they were organized. There was music. There was food. There were costumes. There were signs. There were people that seemed pretty dedicated, pretty concerned. And a lot of the things that they talked about were staffing. That. I would say was the most on, on that was on the minds of many of the people I talked to. Mm-hmm. Some people talked about pay. They talked about the inequities of the CEO pay compared to their pay, but really they were talking about you know the shifts they were working and kind of the pandemic burnout that they felt like seeing that it was hard to hire people. It was hard to keep people working long hours. They didn't have enough support. They didn't have enough coworkers to to feel like they could do their jobs well and safely. Yeah. I have a lot of friends who are nurses and that's what I've been hearing pretty much since the pandemic, you know, like the, it never got back to normal, you know, the staffing issue. Like it's just been compounding since then. Yeah. And I believe that a lot of these workers, the last contract that they did negotiate was back in 2019, right? So they've been working under a contract that was secured before the pandemic, which has completely changed all of our lives. But for people who work in healthcare, it is a completely different world right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we've talked about it on the show. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, all these hospital systems are just, like, milking insane profits, right? Uh, you know, like, healthcare is still fraught in America, and profitability is difficult for all sorts of health organizations. But, like, yeah, these people have worked so hard um, and gone through so much. So the fact that they now are standing up and saying, we want a fairer contract. We want to be able to be staffed well. We want to erase. I mean, there's nothing surprising about that to me. Yeah. And and while there might have been hopes for a settlement, we didn't see that. Um, and in fact, due to the the nature of when the contracts expire, there are plans for other unions to go on strike um, in the weeks to come. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've seen a lot of labor activity at other hospital systems in Oregon as well over the last several months. You know, it's not like it's just Kaiser. Like, OHSU nearly went on strike. Some people at Providence did go on strike earlier in the year. Some of the folks that we talked to in the hospital who were working, you know, some of them said, you know, I'm going to go outside on my lunch break. I can't carry a sign legally, but I'm going to use my lunch break to just stand out there with my colleagues. And they said... Really, it, it was stressful to them because not only were they you know, trying to manage the chaos that was happening inside the hospital, um, they were like, we just want to take care of people. We just want to take mm-hmm. care of people and we just want to feel that we're taken care of too so that we can focus on that. Yeah, you know, I've never met a nurse that was like, I'm in it for the money. Like <laughs> My little sister uh, started off in hospice uh, work and this was a woman who at like in her early 20s was just so wild that when I would think, try to think of her in that environment, I thought was like, what are you doing? And she just was a completely different person. And it was that she's like, no, you got to take care of these patients. Like this is, it's like her entire being when she's there. And like, that is a calling. Yeah. And I've witnessed how people who do care make such a huge difference in the lives, you know, for my mom's care, the people that she's connected with, the people that 
have helped her really, really, really make a big difference just on her outlook, on her comfort, um, on her faith in the medical establishment. And we've seen it. You know, we've been in and out of the ER and those workers may have been, you know, we talk to them because you're sitting there waiting, waiting on tests, waiting on labs and you talk to people and it's like, yeah, they got in at eight. They're, we're scheduled to leave at eight, but there's still patients there. And they can't go home while they're still yeah. patients. They're going to keep, they're going to stay. They're going to do what they need to do. Yeah. I don't know, man. Before the, everybody like went on strike, the company wrote this thing that actually made me kind of angry. And they wrote, we jointly agreed this morning to continue to meet through midday Tuesday. So this was obviously before Wednesday, you know, mm -hmm. uh, if needed to reach an agreement. Uh, a strike is not inevitable and certainly not justified. And I was just like, what? <laughs> And I was like, I want to strike. I'm not even there. And now I want to strike. I'm like, John, let's get out of here. Let's do it. <laughs> well, thank you, Molly, for for taking the time to do that for us. A anytime. Anytime you want to give me an assignment, I'll, I'll, I'll come back. I'll <laughs> you join you. Fly back. <laughs> <laughs> On the wings of a crow. Um, <laughs> John, what caught your eye this week? Uh, yeah, I'm going in a totally different direction this week. Uh, new concert series coming to Providence Park. Uh, Providence Park, home of the Timbers and the Thorns. A lot of this is coming from Andy Pruitt at Willamette Week. Um, but yeah, the stadium has been putting money into their facility and they just announced that they're going to turn it into a live music venue once again. This is something that they did for many years, then sort of got out of the habit of. Um, it's going to be the biggest place in town to see live music. They're going to have about 30,000 seats, which is like way bigger than the Moda Center at this point. Mm. Uh, the Foo Fighters are coming uh, next August. And depending on when you tune into this podcast, tickets might be on sale because they go on 10 a.m. on Friday. Um, yeah, it's a fun development to have this huge new place outdoors to see live music. That's so cool. I'm really excited because it's bigger than the Moda Center. Do you, does that mean Beyonce's coming? <laughs> I, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, right? Mm. You know, to do some like live entertainment math, like 30,000 seats is like a ton of people. But, you know, the places where the Beyonce's and the Taylor Swift's and these like super mega tours that we've been seeing this summer, those are all at like 80,000 seat venues, right? So it is this thing where, you know, 30,000 people, a lot of people, like a lot of those shows end up in the gorge or in Bend or in these, you know, up in weird places in Washington, but like they don't come to Portland and this is going to plug a hole, but it's not going to be that like super, super mega star type of stadium. Did you read all the people that used to play at the oh, Providence gosh. Center? Like Elvis Presley sold it out in 1957. Yeah. In 1986, it was like Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, and David Bowie, which is like, what a goddamn year for Portland music. Because right now, it's really hard for us to, to, we have to go to Seattle, or we have to go to uh, San Francisco to catch some stuff, or Bend. Bend! <laughs> you know? I did not know that. It's a beautiful place, but like, god dang, like, we're a city. <laughs> How does Bend have a larger Stadium than you guys. I know. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But, but like, I do want to sort of like put this in context, though, because like, okay, we're getting this giant venue, which is awesome. But it's like also happening at the same time 
that we just saw the last show at the original Doug Fur, right? Yeah. They're moving to a new space, but like that venue closed down. I was at the last show. It was amazing. But like, I, I just want to like really campaign that like the lifeblood of a community like Portland is these smaller venues, right? Is mm -hmm. these sort of like 500 to 700 seat rooms. Um, and it's, you know, it's always like a big splashy headline when like something big and new and exciting happens. Um, but like, you know, I don't know how many shows I'm going to be going to at Providence Park, but like in the smaller rooms like Mississippi Studios or the Wonder mm -hmm. Ballroom or like the new Doug Fur when it does open, like those are the places that, you know, even if you don't get as many people in a room, that's where most of us are seeing live entertainment these days. Well, one thing I was concerned was I, I heard that Live Nation would would put on the full stadium shows at the venue, but uh they, they, but the Timbers were like, oh no, we're still going to work with independent promoters for smaller concerts, you know, but like Live Nation, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I mean, there was talk of a Live Nation new venue as well recently, right? Yeah. Like the, there was a month or two ago, a story in that like, yeah. in Southeast, like just off the edge of the Hawthorne Bridge. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think I even need to go on a tirade of the reasons that Live Nation sucks, uh, you know, whether <laughs> they're... they're <laughs> Invested in by, like, the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund. They have all sorts of antitrust violations and, like, problems with worker safety. Like, Live Nation stinks. Uh, and I just am still, like, such a fan of, like, smaller independent venues. And I think that that's really important for our community as well. Mm -hmm. But I will say that's that's why we haven't had Beyonce. That's all, you know. <laughs> <laughs> because, unfortunately, they own that racket. You know, they own those larger... Uh, venues and like it, they're a management company. They sell the tickets. They they do it all. Like you said, like they're you know they 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 got fingers. They got many fingers and there's many pies. You know, so yeah. they're the ones who kind of put those larger shows on. But so my question is like, Portland owns this whole stadium, right? So like this is um this is a way that the city can make money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that seems like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think that like putting on shows at this caliber, like you know, it's it's not necessarily an uh, uh, endless money spigot. You got to be sort of be careful about who you're booking and how you're putting that production together. But, like, like Beyonce, you know, people would would, would like, definitely like come if yeah. uh, Beyonce came. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's so sad is I'm thinking about it. I'm just like that freaking stadium is probably still too small for her. Like she needs yeah. like a football stadium. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <sighs> Never okay, mind. Okay, so phase one, get a baseball team. Phase two, get a get football, football team. Don't watch football. <laughs> Don't care. It's all part of the master plan. <laughs> Beyonce 2062, Portland, Oregon. 2062, I'll be dead. <laughs> Who's living till then? Beyonce. It's, it's true. Just a beautiful hologram. Us just, just wheeling up, you know, in our little wheelchairs. <laughs> Just getting, just covered in, in crow shit, getting rained on. <laughs> just waiting. Just waiting. That's your new flag. I see it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's take a quick break here. And when we return, more headlines of the week. So the story I'd like to talk about this week is one about loyalty and betrayal. <laughs> it's, the messy, it's the messy breakup between the Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard. I know for all you 
basketball heads, that's that's actually what they prefer to be called. Um, you already know this, but this is for the like the not sports fan uh, who who doesn't understand what's going on. There is a story. There is like a Game of Thrones level story here that caught my eye. John, have you been following this? Oh saga? yes, yes, <laughs> eagerly, sometimes cringingly, sometimes with like the popcorn munching face. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Well, so uh, you know, let's fast forward. Damian Lillard is now with the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, but that's not where he wanted to end up. I think now he's happy with it, but the rumors are that uh, the Blazers pretty much screwed Damian out of his chosen team, which was the Miami Heat, out of pettiness and spite. <laughs> and that is the rumor, right? So I'm going to lay out the story, and then maybe you guys can tell me what you think, okay? Mm-hmm. So Molly, you're from Madison. Are the Bucks your team? I mean, they're everybody's team. It's it's all we got in Wisconsin. Do you know much about Damian Lillard? I don't. Okay. I know people are happy about it. <laughs> oh, in Wisconsin? Yeah, you should be. <laughs> Jesus. You so better for 11- be. You better appreciate what we yeah, give you. Yeah, you better. I know. I'm just like, <laughs> we're literally giving you the best of Portland, right? So anyhow, for 11 years, let me just tell you about Damien. For 11 years, he played for the Blazers, right? So he was basically that, like, this is my, you know, this is my team for life. And he wasn't just a player. Uh, he was pretty much the entire franchise. And he's a phenomenal player. Molly, like, you know, he's like Logo Lillard, he's Dame Time, like he can make the most incredible shots in the most intense moments of a game um, and just be ice cold about it. So it makes sense. I don't know, John, that he would want to win a championship, uh, but he basically gave up all of his 20s, like prime, like athlete years to the Blazers who have routinely failed to build and sustain a championship winning team around him. And... I don't know. This is just me editorializing here. Frankly, took Dame's loyalty for granted. But John, do you know much about Damien's story? Like how he grew up? Like who this guy is? I mean, I know he's from the Bay Area and I know that he has like a legendary work ethic. Like I've read articles that talk about like, yeah, he's a super talented player, but like he's gotten to where he is by just being relentless in his, his, you know, methods and his discipline to practice. Um, I mean, yeah, it's uh, we knew that Dame was going to go like it's sort of been in the not even just this year. I mean, I think there's been several years where we've been. Seeing that, really, he is, is he going to leave us now? Is this kind, is he going to leave <laughs> us? Yeah, you know, and I mean, and I am not, I am not a basketball head by any stretch, but like from what I'm reading, like they say that this was, you know, the people on Twitter who are smarter about this than I do say that this really was a good trade for the Blazers. That like everything that the Blazers got out of it in terms of new players, in terms of future draft picks, it like, you know, the Blazers have kind of stunk for a couple years and this is like getting them in the direction that the franchise needs to go but uh yeah it's just it's just like i'm sad that dame had a bad time on his way out of town yeah because he's given us so much and so so like you're right like damien basically has always identified as like an underdog like he grew up in east oakland there's interviews where he's like discussed being robbed at gunpoint when he was just a kid like he grew up shooting hoops through a tree branch that was just like sh- like circular shaped, <laughs> just like the saddest opening film, you know, shot of anything. And then when they cut that tree down, like his grandfather tied a milk crate to a post. So just like super, super humble beginnings. And so he wasn't like one of those kids whose parents were like able to send him to fancy basketball clinics. He was like one of those kids selling chocolate bars outside of Starbucks to like try to gather bus money to go to the next game, you know? And 
on top of that, just like John, like just kind of said, like he wasn't considered an amazing player as a youth or, you know, he was just like good and he worked really, really, really hard. Um, But the story goes that like a talent scout who saw him play in one of those AAU teams, which is like these amateur youth nonprofit leagues, um, offered him a spot on a better, fancier team where he he could stop selling chocolate bars. And Damien turned that offer down because he didn't want to let his team down. So Damien has always been that guy, you know, just really loyal and just like, no, how are they going to win if I leave, you know? So when the Blazers grabbed him in 2012 and he was still a senior in college uh, and three years later, just three years later, they're like, the whole franchise is going to be built around you. He again pledged his goddamn loyalty. And this is all going to set up like what unraveled. Okay, so fast forward this past June, uh, Joe Cronin, that's the GM of the Blazers, promised Damien and his people, like his agent, that the team was committed to building a championship worth of deal. Like, this is going to be our year. They even were like, hey, man, can you sit out the last nine games of this past season? We want to tank the season so we get the best picks. And, of course, what everybody else was told was like, oh, he has a calf injury. But now through all this, it's come out that, like, he could have played. But we all knew that, right, John? Like, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no. I mean, we talked. We talked about it on the show at the time. It was sort of like eh, we know that there's a little bit of politicking happening here. But like, we'll we'll look the other way. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, this GM Joe Cronin has his master vision of like who's going to come on the team and all whatever. So Dame sits out, and he's waiting. And so he's like, oh, okay, if we're going to get the choice pick, we're going to get someone, you know, established, someone who's won something, someone that can help me be my counterpart. And instead, the Blazers used their number three draft pick on a 19-year-old point guard with zero NBA experience. And for the rest of their picks, pretty much every player was on the younger side. And then they proceeded not to trade them to get more established players. For Dame, it became clear like, oh, they're not looking to build a championship team around me. If anything, they're like, getting ready to use me as a peer coach for a possible new franchise player because I'm 33, you know? And add that to the fact that the Blazers failed to make the playoffs for the second consecutive season for the first time in his career. So he was just like, dude, we cannot win with the team we have. So I think it was really reasonable that he was like, all right, guys, like, obviously this isn't the direction that you want to be going. Neither is it for me because I want to win a ring. Can I please be traded? (laughs) You know, and so he he thought he built a lot of goodwill, 11 years, you know. So he's like, I, I would love to be traded to Miami, meaning his agent probably already kind of worked a deal out because you know what I mean? Like, you can't just be like, I want to go there. Like there was already a de- like Miami was like, yes, let's go come here. We'll take care of this. So all the Blazers had to do was work something favorable out for themselves um, with Miami. But the Blazers were like, no. We're not going to trade you to Miami just because you want to go. And also we're annoyed at you and your agent because you're pressuring us. So we're going to take other offers, which they have every right to do. But according to the reports, the Blazers got so frustrated that they weren't getting like what they thought was good enough for Damien. And they were blaming Damien and his agent for that. They're just like, you're fucking up all these offers for us because you just want to go to Miami. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I heard too. I'm sure there's a lot more to it, but... Since the since players were getting ready for training camp and Damien was still on the roster and people had no clue where he was going, you know? So, I don't know. Well, since the Trailblazers felt they were being pressured into negotiations, the NBA had to step in like a, like a dad and just be like, hey, man, knock it off. 
and like basically warned Damien and his agent that they could be subject to discipline. So at first they were just like, you guys are doing something wrong. And uh, because that's what Joe Cronin, the Blazers GM, thought was happening. Uh, but who knows what actually was happening. And then check this out. After that, Miami put out a statement that basically said, yo, the Blazers are getting all in their feelings about this, are not being reasonable. They won't meet face to face with us. And they're just being like hella salty. So Damien trying to break tension with like the GM of the Blazers invited him to his house and was like, hey, you know, let's talk about this. And in the discussion, Dame realized that, that he had no intention of ever trading him to Miami Heat. Like he was just like, oh, you just don't want me to go there. And of course the GM's like, well, because we're not getting a good pick for it. But he was just like, you just don't want me to go there. <laughs> so uh, he's like, fine, if I can't go to Miami, he, I'll stay. And at that point, this is when I was like, what? Like Cronin was just like, oh no, there's no going back. You just told all the dudes in the locker room, you don't want to play with them. So you can't come back here. And so at this point, I'm sure Damien just responded with like a really surprised Pikachu face, you know? Because like <laughs> 11 years, you know? And he's just like, what? You know, and he's like, yeah, you, you know, so you're not trading me to Miami Heat. You're not, you're saying I can't come back and you're not really communicating with us like as to what's going on. Um, oh, the NBA had to come back in to basically say, hey, can can you f trade him? Can you figure something out? Can you talk to them? Because like he's at the training camps now on the roster. You're saying he can't be on the team and you're ignoring him. What a saga. I know. <laughs> and, and it's just, you know, I love the Portland Trailblazers, but Dame was so the face of the team. And, you know, some of the younger players are really, really promising, like Scoot Henderson doing really cool stuff. But like without that sort of celebrity power, without that sort of immediate name recognition, um, I think it, you know, I think the Blazers still have like a couple tough years ahead of them as they rebuild. And like we've all seen sports franchises go through rebuilding. It's always painful. Sometimes they come back. Sometimes they end up in like an infinite loop of rebuilding. But um, yeah, Molly, just just please cherish, please cherish this gift we have <laughs> given you and your countrymen. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is we stole your man. Well, I feel like the good thing that happened out of all this, all this drama is that the Bucks got um, Giannis and Damien are like in basketball love with each other. And so, like, it's going to work out. You know what I mean? Like, they've been, like, promising each other, like, championship babies for a while. Like, they played in all-star games together, and they're just like, I like you, you know? So this worked out. Um, and according to the Bleacher Report, when the deal was announced, one of the first text messages that, like, Damon received was from Giannis. And it just said, like, let's get this fucking championship. So I'm really excited to see this yeah. happen. Like, I'm excited to see him play. Yeah, you can root for the Bucks. I, I won't hold it against you. I might. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Molly just turning it around, trying to get us on your side now. <laughs> I mean, that's just what I'm hearing. John, are you going to root for the Bucks? I, I, I think uh, I'll, I'll do that sort of like every time that Dame, Dame does something good with the Bucks, I'll do that stern little nod. Be like, yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> 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 All I know is that if even if like everyone's bummed about the Blazers, I hear that the WNBA is uh, actually going to possibly like it's on the next round uh, of discussions. Like it's it's reached the board of governors. You know, so I think that if people are like listening and they're just like, well, fuck the Blazers, the WNBA is going to happen. WNBA baby. coming WNBA. to town. <laughs> Bad bridges coming through. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> 
That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks so much for listening. Our lead producer is John Atariani. Our audio producers this week were AKL Moomin, Natalie Rivera, and Julia Fioglioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monahan, and our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Stephen Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound and All the Kimonos. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. Thank you.